Hi, welcome to Ugly Betty. My name is Steven. My name is George. And George, guess what? We have a guest. Yes, we do. Who is it? Please welcome to the show my friend. He's a model. He's an actor. He's an activist. Please welcome my friend, the fabulous Ronnie Kroll. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Oh, wait. This is I forgot to also mention singer. (laughs) (laughs) That was the wrong show. that's, That's Disney. (laughs) <laughs> we're talking well, ugly, ugly betty, betty ugly betty is technically a disney property abc that's so, true so i'm not family totally <laughs> so how are you doing today well i'm great now thank you both for having me on this amazing covid sunday yeah um, you know times are crazy and we're all just riding the roller coaster of emotions together with the politics and the health crisis of the day. I myself am on the tail end of recovering from a sinus infection, which isn't uh, all too abnormal for me because I get them at least once a year, but they're kind of miserable, but I'm feeling much better today, which is good. So I get to be with you and feel good and have a few laughs and (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I know how sinuses are. I'm from the South and my life is sinuses because they're always acting up. So I know how that torture is. Oh, yeah, man. So I get it. Mm. Yeah. And you get that migraine kind of sinus headache that just kind of is always here. (laughs) And it makes you so cranky. And you kind of go like this with your eyes to tackle it like this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't quite work. Maybe if I make myself cross-eyed and laser focus inside my head, I can. <laughs> I just try to breathe through it like I'm pregnant or something. <laughs> <laughs> you do the Lamaze breathing technique. Like, uh, so we're talking about season one, episode 21. I, what I like to ask all my guests is, what's your experience with Ugly Betty? Have you seen it before? What? Well, I think it was back in 2004 when it originally 2006. aired. 2006. Six. So it's been a while, but I definitely did watch it pretty religiously. And uh, admittedly, I had to go back and watch, rewatch this episode just so I could have a fresh um, memory on it. But it was just such a brilliantly written and acted show. It was so uh, tongue in cheek and fun. And it was just great casting. And um, it, it genuinely evokes solid belly laughs out of me so it's kind of fun to to get to participate and and to join you guys and um talking about it today yeah so what what was your thought on on this episode overall um overall i uh i love it i love the it was it was extra campy i think this episode it was a lot of fun to watch i love watching vanessa williams and uh judith light is a friend of mine so you know getting to see those two interact it's like it's screen gold platinum even you know it's just so much fun to watch those two uh stars in a scene together and hold their own with each other it's that was probably the highlight of the whole episode for me is when she's visiting judith in the prison (laughs) and one of my favorite moments between because you know that's like their their enemies throughout the whole show and they've never stopped being enemies my favorite moment is a season four episode towards the end where they have that whole um dynasty moment like you know with the waterfall and they're fighting like He's like a tribute, kind of like a tribute to that. And like, of course they would do that with those two. <laughs> it works. 
I felt like this was the first of many battles that yes. we saw between like this this battle was intense yeah, between yeah. both of them mm. so, like this was the beginning of that yes this was definitely the beginning of the knockdown drag out fights yes yeah. verbally <laughs> some ends with in graveyards some in water some in in like you know Violence, but yeah, so let's start with the beginning of the episode. So where do we open up? Well, I mean, we see Daniel, unfortunately, regressing back to his old ways mm. of being a playboy and, you know, not having a care in the world. He figured, hey, I got off the hook with Petra. I'm fine. I can just go and celebrate now. Mm. And then you have Betty, who's trying to be like the the um, the nurturing, caring person going, hold on a minute. Did you not learn anything? Yeah. And I, I love how the show opens with um, Betty on the phone with those, on the phone and those curl, curlers. It was hilarious. <laughs> and I loved it. I love um, the interaction between um, Anna Ortiz Hilda with her, um, the um, head of the per the program. I love the- Oh, that was great. That was like, she's 130 pounds a bitch. What do you say? <laughs> 120. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, that's right. She's not even offended that she was throwing shade, just that she was off by 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite running gags came back with a different character in this episode. We, I felt like we hadn't seen it for a minute, mm -hmm. but um we all know how much Amanda hates Secretary's Day. Mm -hmm. And so her emotional eating is really back in this yes. episode, front and center, everything she's just eating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love Amanda's, I love Amanda's emotional eating. That's one of my favorite running gags of the show. I love when her, uh, when she was showing off her boobs and was like, these buttons ain't gonna pop themselves. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I love I love I I love the lines that always that comes out of um Becky Newton's Amanda's character like when she, she said ooh that cutie designer made you another vest it's not like you're sleeping with him it's like of course not because he's gay and a woman and he's gay <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my other favorite Amanda Amanda terms um, that came out of this was beer queer <laughs> <laughs> when her and when her and Mark were having one of their fights yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries to cover up secretaries by, by saying secretariat he loves horses <laughs> <laughs> and i love that and i love that sequence is like you're gonna have to buy your own beer queen i'm not going i'm not going to have you, uh, I, I messed it up never mind <laughs> I just, oh and in this episode we also finally got a first we finally got to hear vanessa williams sing a little bit uh <sighs> because we all must not forget where Vanessa got her real start. Mm. We went and saved the best for last. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's... If I wanted to find a corny, you know, pun, there we go. But um, yes, we all, let's all remember that Vanessa Williams is an incredible singer. And that's what really, after Miss America, that's what really put her on the map was her pop career. Most Grammy nominated, Tony nominated, Emmy nominated goddess. Yeah. That's, that's the only way you can so say I love it. that we finally get some light singing in this when she's uh, making Bradford listen to jazz. You can be so white sometimes. I, I identify with that on a 
very, very emotional level when I'm playing <laughs> R&B music around people or like soul music is like people, people of the Caucasian persuasion doesn't get it. They're like, you could be so white. Come. Luckily, when it came to R&B and soul music, I didn't have that issue. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Congratulations. Good for you. I, like most children of the 90s, I was raised on Brandy and Monica. I mean, so. well, I, I grew up singing jazz, so I'm all about the jazz standards. Mm. What's your favorite jazz standard? Um, probably all of me. Mm. All right. Mm. I like, um, do you know um, Hard Hearted Hannah? Oh, yeah. I love that. I love seeing that one. Um, Heart of Savannah. Yeah. B. Arthur. Have you heard B. Arthur sing it? Oh, I haven't, but I bet she kills it. Yeah, she's she's seen it twice. She did Maud, which is a show back. I don't know. I love Maud. I love Maud too. She sings it in season two, episode ten, Maud's musical, and then she also sings it in season seven of Golden Girls. I think is twenty one or twenty when it's called um is with um when Blanche and um Dorothy was competing in this like you know this old old men sailor bar she sang it towards the end of the episode i mean not right. that you know that those episodes by heart or anything and then if i had to pick a favorite uh, jazz standard let's see uh, mine would have to be um they can't take that away from me mm. oh that's a good one. Oh, they can't take that away from me mm. oh what a good song uh, jazz standards are the best i think they should come back well, they'll always be around. They'll always be around, but you like, you know, back come back into pop culture, you know. Well, swing did come back in yeah. the 90s, so anything is possible. Remember the swing craze that came back temporarily in the 90s? Oh, yeah. And everyone and, was about it. And Lady Gaga's album with um Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett, Cheek to Cheek. That's a great album. Oh. And, and anytime Seth MacFarlane sings, her heart just melts. It's like, can you just marry me? I know, I know you're probably straight, but just marry me. Can I marry your voice? <laughs> he has a great voice. I love when he does jazz music. Yeah, I have two of his albums. But yeah, what's something that you want to point out in the episode beginning? Um, gosh, I mean, there were so many really kind of tongue-in-cheek moments. I mean, outside of the boobs moment for me, which I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if it was at the beginning, but... I really loved how Daniel's kind of change of heart happened. I really like, it was a really moving emotional moment at the end from where he started in the beginning when he purchased those first, I hope it's all right that I get you these first class tickets for your entire family. I love seeing those character arcs and how, you know, a sign of really good writing is when you can like really despise a character one moment, but you see their humanity in that moment when they, you know, you see their light as well as their shadowy parts. So I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. Especially if you can do it in the same episode. Mm -hmm. There's an episode and a couple episodes, like the season finale, where you see Wilhelmina be funny and you see a softer moment with her. It's just like, you know, if you have talented actors and then talented writing, it's just like, it's just magic. It's, well, there's, yeah. it's a match made in heaven. It's mm -hmm. like a great marriage when you have great actors and great writing go hand in hand. Right. And it was just such a sweet thing that Daniel did for Betty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was so sweet and so loving and really just showed 
that, you know, despite all of his challenges that he's working through, that he just has a really good heart at the end of the day, you know, no matter how many kind of friends he could put on or um, distractions he might have. And I like that. Yeah, it's, it's just, it just shows his character grow from the first episode of, of the season to now, like Betty has made an influence on her, on him, and it's a positive change. And he's still going through that change. It's just, yeah. <sighs> and I just, I don't know. I always feel so bad for Betty. Like the poor dear, like she's like the Meg of of um, Family Guy and stuff like that. She just <laughs> always getting the shit on. And that by that one, uh, I forget his name, but the one employee that like while she's riding the bull throws big pepper yeah and he's just such a jackass and they're so mean to her and yeah. like i was so proud of her when she took um that uh what was it called the jousting bag or yeah. whatever it was. yeah uh and just knocked him one and was just like i can take care of myself <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time in re-watching this series I live for those kind of moments where I can like shout at the TV like it's a football game or something. Yeah. So after she after she knocked him out, I snapped my fingers. And I was like, <laughs> "You go, girl." Well, and you know, as someone who's been bullied, you know, I I was bullied a lot growing up and in, well into my teenage years, and it it took me a while to grow that thick skin to be able to stand up for myself. For that moment, especially resonated with me because I was like, "Yes, you know." Not that I necessarily condemn violence as a way to handle bullies, but in that moment, it was such retribution and it was just like, you had it coming. Well, I, think <laughs> yeah. because, I think because all three of us here are LGBTQ citizens, we all, we all have our own individual stories. And I think that's why we love seeing those triumphant moments, whether it's on TV or in film, because it's like you finally stood your ground and you stood up for yourself and you know what? You said no more of this. Mm -hmm. And I think we all live for those moments because we know how good that feeling is. Right. Even with somebody who, you know, and you know, and he he had a line where it's like, you know what, that might have not flaunt that might have not flown on TV today. Yeah, and I I love I think people um the queer community gravitated towards the show, just not only because of Vanessa Williams and then um Judith Lights and, it, and it's all campy, but you know, it's all about that under the underdog story. And we in the queer community, we always, we, we are generally put in the underdog perspective and we love like seeing that vessel of overcoming saying, yeah, we can overcome this too. You know, we are not saying we're freaks, but you know, we are labeled as the freaks. And it's just yeah. like the, the, well, and you know what's so interesting about being labeled the freaks or being different is a majority of the time the people that are hurling the most insults or wanting to cause us the most harm, really they're projecting their own anger towards themselves and their own self-loathing. Because all the kids that used to bully me or make fun of me in high school or in junior high, I later found out in life that they were actually gay. Yeah, and that happened to me too. I was right? I was looking, I was like a, like I wouldn't say last year, I was thinking when I visited home and like I did like, huh. I was going on Grinder and like, wait, wait, you used to bully me for being 
-hmm. Well, and the worst part of it, guys, was the guys that used to bully me and be like, hey, Ronnie, what's it like to take it up the butt? <laughs> and then, like, the teacher is laughing and everybody's laughing and it's awful, awful, awful. And I used to, like, go to their girlfriends that were the cheerleaders thinking, well, maybe I can convince them to withhold sex <laughs> in order to punish them. And then only to find out two or three years later that they were all having sex with each other in the locker room. I didn't know whether to be more upset that they bullied me or they didn't ask me to come in the locker room and have fun with them. <laughs> I, I wish I had both of your triumphant stories. Unfortunately, uh, sadly, I just went to a very bigoted, you know, school where that just was frowned upon. So sadly, no, none of my bullies turned out to be gay, but I'm really glad that the both of you got that <laughs> story. And, and like, I, I think he, he's working in politics now and doing something in politics. But like when I went home to visit, I, I was walking through the mall and he was working at Forever 21. I did like, hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Noted. That's college career. I mean, that's a high school career. I'm proud of you. I'm in LA and you're forever 21. Congratulations. Hmm. Uh, and I think this episode, like I, 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 when I was re-watching the episode, I learned that in each of the different characters, whether it's Wilhelmina or Hilda or Betty, you learned that, you know, at the end of the day, you had to take care of your own stuff goals in order to move forward. Like Hilda, she had to, um, you know, get over herself and do what she had to do. And Betty, you know, took that, you know, emotional charge for herself and like took care of her own problem. And then Wilhelmina, she did it too. And then like, you know, in a different way. Right. Well, that's that's what I got from this episode, just re-watching it this morning, actually, because I, I got up and I rewatched it. And um one of the things I noticed was like, wow, the really, to me, the underlying theme of this entire episode is stepping up. Mm -hmm. Whether you're stepping up for yourself or you're stepping up to do the right thing mm -hmm. or you're taking a stand. I really felt like every character in a different way had their moment to step up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like when Henry stepped up to, to fight for Betty mm -hmm. and and uh, came to Betty's defense and fought in Betty's honor. And, and then um, when um, Alexis and Bradford and, Ro and Rodrigo, that storyline, that was like, you know, that's, that was so sad and heartbreaking. But, you know, Alexis, you know, she stepped up and said, you know what? I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm take care of this myself. And I'm, I'm not going to let my father treat me like that anymore. And how much do we love Michael Urie? Oh my yeah, God. Yes. I love Michael Urie. And when he got to like, you know, slap Vanessa Williams around. Oh my God, that fight scene was everything. <laughs> Hit me like when, that, you pansy. <laughs> and they both, both, they both start hitting like this. And of course we know she didn't really fall down the stairs, but those sound effects, like when she falls her ass down the stairs, it's just like, and she's all up in bed and she's got every, like black and blue and she's all like uncomfortable. And, oh, I loved it. It was like she nearly killed herself but now she's gonna get her way yeah, yeah. she would do what she has to do to take over but and at the end of the day it's brasford's fault technically for not promoting the right person to get to, to be editor-in-chief even though she was honestly next in line so she's doing what she has to do and she she first tried with alexis to take over that way to send bradford away 
and then she's actually using Bradford now the same way right. they did and it's like okay you you see you see the chess player she has yes. to she has to move a different piece now yes she can't move her alexis piece anymore yes and then we'll slowly see will will amina use she used daniel she's using she'll use daniel she's used betty she'll use she's using christina it's like <sighs> oh and that look on Betty's From a and look on Alexis's face when she picks up the phone and eavesdrops the conversation between oh, her. Oh, yeah. Now, you can't really pick up, nobody really picks up that kind of phone anymore in 2020. But, you know, back in 2007, people still had landlines. Yeah, it was just, Real. and that's so invocative, like, of the queer experience, like, you know. And then I you, love when she hits him and says, I may be a woman, but I can, but I can still hit like a man. Yeah. And just like, you know, we as queer people, we feel sometimes we think our family's okay with it when they're actually not. And this mm -hmm. is like a very hyper version of this in like a different context. But, you know, it's just like, you know. When you don't have acceptance for who you are from your parents. Mm, it's, it was just like, you know, it, you know, it brings back memories for some time for some people. It's just like, you know, but we, we don't go about the Alexis and having them killed off even if we just do it in our head and, you know, we emotionally kill them off and like, you know, the good way is like to live your own life. And like, you know, you know, you still love your parents, you know, you have to be your, you have to be yourself and like live or you'll always be stuck in that mindset of like being, because it's not forward movement for anybody. Maybe they're not going to be forward movement, but you have to move forward or you'll be like, you know, it'll make you, yourself sick if you if that makes sense right right yeah. i mean this whole like show is an interesting step as humorous as it is it's an interesting kind of case study into human psychology and behavior and it low-key like in a way it really touched my heart and hit my heart and made me feel a little sad because as someone who also understands addiction and addiction being the symptom of a deeply rooted trauma because people are trying to escape something they haven't healed yet. You see that Daniel has literally just exchanged one addiction for another because now he's pills instead. And so he's feeling better about one addiction, but now he's kind of opening up Pandora's box with another, you know. And that's sadly what happens. I mean, especially, I mean, um, one of my favorite shows is Mom with Anna Ferris and- Oh, that's great too. Talks about recovery and how after Christy had kicked her alcohol addiction, she then went to gambling. So unfortunately, the tragedy of addiction is whenever you erase one thing out, then unfortunately yeah. that that closure of one can just immediately open the you're door. You're gonna latch, you're gonna eventually latch on to something else, whether it's food or whether it's gambling or sex or shopping, whatever it is, until you heal the the deeply rooted kind of root of the trauma that you're experiencing. Once you are able to look at that and heal or forgive yourself, then you know, you won't necessarily want to escape your life because you're now kind of creating a life that you want to be present for and you're not trying to get away from it. And I think an, another great show that deals with addiction, but the bad side of not recovering from that addiction and living in that addiction is Nurse Jackie. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't, but I've heard really great things about it. It's just, heard... 
It just it shows it starts Edie Falco as Jackie, a pill popping nurse. In in around season four, she goes to rehab finally, and she ha she has to admit that she um, the reason why she started taking pills is because of her daughter once she had birth and that was the start of her taking pills and it was so hard for me because she loves her family and then you see throughout the, the series what the links that she goes to you know take pills and and then there was a whole season where she was not taking pills at all and at the end of the season she takes pills again and then like at the i don't want to spoil but it's it's such a good series it's it's on netflix it's about to be off netflix at the end of um and this month, but, and usually, yeah. um, and usually for those kind of shows, I mean, I worked with one of the actresses for a mom in a movie last year, and she said we have a lot of writers who are in recovery. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure for shows like Nurse Jackie, and maybe for this one as well, they might have had a writer in recovery, or they might have had a consultant come in and go, "This is what usually happens in these kinds of situations." Mm -hmm. And I love like scripts like this, like, you know, like I know this was a small part of this episode and like Nurse Jackie is the whole series, but it's just like, when you know the truth of the situation and you can write it, the actor, whoever gets to play that situation can say, play with honesty and truth because it's on that paper and you, you see it there and then- Well, you can empathize with it. If, you're, if you've got that to call upon from your own life, you know, you're really tapping into something um, really powerful, you know, and that's when it really hits home for the audience too. Yeah. I love that you brought up because I, I say this every week on the show and I, I, every guest we have on, I always say, um, if you ever really want to study the human condition, this mm. is an excellent show because you really do see all these characters who are multi-layered, multi-faceted people. And it's just an excellent study on humanity. And especially during the times of 2020, as you said earlier, whether it's, whether it's COVID or politics, unfortunately, we're in the thick of it right now when it comes to the lowest our humanity has ever been, where we're just in a society where we're, we're all being pitted against each other. So it's great to watch this just to really try to understand people and to try to understand people who don't agree with you. And so it's- um, well you know and, and just to piggyback on that i loved what you just said i i also think that we learn more from rock bottom than we do from our successes mm. and you know the road to success is paved with failure so to speak um and maybe not necessarily failure but falling down and getting up because i don't know anyone that's gone after their dreams even if they were a silver spoon baby with a trust fund account, you can have as much money in the world, but if you aren't being successful with your, your business dealings or whatever it is you're going after, you might be able to recover more quickly because you got more money in the bank. But um, at some point, you know, especially now, I think this is such a dynamic time to be incarnated as these human avatars that we have right now. And regardless of what you believe happens after death, this is so dynamic and exciting because everything that's been lurking in the shadows is coming to light. And that truly is the only way, whatever challenges, um, cultural trauma, individual trauma, ancestral trauma, it's all being brought to the surface for us to decide, well, what do we want to do as a country and as human race, the human race, what are we going to do and what we've had enough, I think, 
and I think we're getting to that point where we've had enough of what we don't want and we've had that experience, that contrast. It's like hot to no cold, left to no right, up to no down. Now we get to kind of decide, well, what do we want to manifest together and what's working and what's not working? And, you know, life is so short. And if we haven't learned that this year with COVID, you know, leaving so many empty places at the table for the holidays, Life is so precious and every day that we get up and have air in our lungs, we have the opportunity to be kind and loving. It's a choice, you know, we have a choice to live in our fear and our ego or to quiet that. And now listen, I'm not saying that it's easy to do. It's easier to say, but um, if we learn how to tame our ego and quiet our fears, and forgive ourselves, you know, so many of us are walking around wounded, wounded and beating ourselves up that once you finally start to be gentle on yourself and just embrace the fact that humans are going to human, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do some quote unquote good things, some not so good things. Um, when you can do that for yourself, at least in my experience, I found it so much easier to leave a little more wiggle room for the people in my life not to be perfect and not to attack them and only see the negative aspects of them, but to love them where they are and to give them that space to learn and to grow, you know? And that's why I don't like about cancel culture. I don't like saying that people are toxic because I don't believe people are toxic. I believe behaviors are toxic. And when you call a person toxic, you're literally putting them between a rock and a hard place because if someone calls me toxic, you, well, you're not giving me any room to be human and grow. So fuck it, I'm just gonna be toxic. Yes. You know? so. I, yeah, I like I, I love how you said that, that whole, that, that was beautiful. And like, I agree wholeheartedly. You have to give people grace because like you said, like, you know, I remember one, one, one time, one of my friends said, I'm a toxic person. Like, I'm not sure I'm being toxic because, you know, you don't see it, you're toxic. And it's just like, you're not, and like, when you keep on saying you're toxic, you're toxic, you're toxic, you don't allow that person to grow and like change. And like you said, with cancel culture, like, I know there's some things that, you know, are definitely unforgivable, but you, you still have to allow that person to grow and see why that why you can't do that because you you're not allowing people to grow you're 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 condemning them without allowing them to grow and there's no point if you want people to be better allow them to grow and be better and give i know you had to you had to give them another chance to be better and you're you're just you know well, and that's, that happens a lot. You know, we make a mistake and we're forever held accountable for that mistake, whether it's three months later, a year later, 10 years later. And so this, you know, let's just say it's five years later and I made a mistake with a friend and they're still holding that version of me in their mind. Yeah. They're holding me in prison because now I'm this person and I have done everything that I can to make amends and, and, and do better, but they aren't allowing themselves to see me in that light and see me as someone who's grown and learned from that mistake. And, you know, it's, I find it so ironic that, you know, religions that preach so much love and light and forgiveness, I mean, hell, even Christ on a cross was able to forgive, you know, the two criminals to his yeah. left and right, you know, so, you can forgive someone 
they say forgiveness is more about you so you can let go of that kind of toxic energy as well but you can forgive someone and keep them at an arm's length and continue to protect your energy while loving them from afar until you decide at some time there it's okay and healthy for them to be back into your personal space again you know you can love people from afar yes that's is you know that's that's all i can do <laughs> like that's what i've been saying so much like to all my friends i've been on the phone with like you know how i feel about everything that's happening right now when it comes to cancel culture and all that stuff like you know we have to allow people to grow like you know <sighs> all right you just you said everything i don't have to say <laughs> i don't have to i don't have to bring that soapbox out maybe <laughs> time i need to bring this argument i'll just go to this section of the podcast and just just listen to this. There you go. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just so true that I think, you know, we're evolving again as humanity, but it's not going to be like we're going to grow a tail or wings or something physical. We're being challenged to evolve spiritually and emotionally. Yeah. And instead of having knee jerk trauma based reactions with each other, we're actually being challenged to pause take a beat, take a deep breath and respond because nothing, not everything is about us. If that barista is nasty to me when I go get my coffee, I, my ego can get involved and say, how dare she treat me that way? Does she know who I am? Or, oh, wait a second, this isn't about me. She probably is having a bad day. Maybe her boss is on her case. Maybe she had a death in the family. If I go back at her with that negative lower vibrational energy, it's only going to make things worse, make her day worse, make my day worse, because I'm going to be thinking about it all day, talking everybody's ear off about how terrible that barista was. You know, that energy is just going to be this downward spiral of ugliness. I don't need that in my life anymore. I don't want to go down that path. I'd rather just say, you know what? I'm going to put her in a little love bubble, hope her day gets better, maybe give her a little extra tip and, uh, you know, carry on. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we all have to be the light of the world and to be the best of humanity because you know that's what we're supposed to be we're supposed to move forward a, a better version of the world that we when we eventually die i, I don't plan on dying but i don't know if you two can you know, have fun but the, the earth that we leave behind should be better than we found it like you know especially in the entertainment industry we when we finally move on from this industry, we have to leave it better than we saw it. We came into it because we we're we're in a very toxic inner industry. We were talking it during our break. This is a very toxic industry, but it's getting better. But it's slowly it's, getting. It's it's responsive. It's it's our responsibility as entertainers to come in and do everything we can to make this industry better than the way we found it. Yeah, and and show and use our platforms and how high platforms we get in, in whether it's movies, TV, podcasts, and books, as, whatever. And as Reese Witherspoon had said beautifully in her sit down with Regina King when I did the Actors on Actors, the rules have really changed because of streaming services. Mm -hmm. So now it's not just a movie studio guessing anymore what audiences want. Now because of streaming services, 
there's now data and real numbers that prove and back up that yes we should have more stories with yeah. lgbt and people of color and we yeah. should we should have more inclusivity not less of it now that we have numbers here yeah. and streaming that back up that yes people want these kinds of stories to be told and on the good side of social media because i don't want to even get into the the toxic side of social media that's <laughs> that's a whole different podcast yes, episode I, I love how ava duvernay she's like starting those she, she's making a tv show I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's abc about native americans like because we need those stories because it's always been you know those um, bad stories of them you know what i'm trying to say well unfortunately when it comes to our native american history in this country we really sanitized as a country what the holiday of Thanksgiving really was. Yeah. Because if you look at the actual history of Thanksgiving, it's a really ugly, heinous holiday. Yeah. So we need to have more stories instead of what was basically sanitized yeah. to us as a society. And it shouldn't, I feel like, especially when we start telling those Native American stories, it shouldn't have, no offense to, not. I'm not sure if it's the deer hunter, but it, it shouldn't be a white saber movie because white savior yeah. white savior type of movie no it's just like you know no offense to those movies because those some of those movies are really good but like we if we tell him stories of color it should have been a white savior movie because going back to ugly betty we can save ourselves yeah right yeah right right <laughs> that's the power of humans and you know in a minority positions, whatever minority you are we can save ourselves we just need the chance and the opportunity and the trust to save ourselves. Well, and I'm, I, I amen to that, you know, I, you are taking me to church on this Sunday. Um, I think one of the keys to our healing as a country from uh, the great trauma that our government has uh, oppressed so many different people, whether it be Native Americans, Black people, um, LGBT women, um, all these different kind of suffrage movements. If we're really gonna heal from this, we have to look at the truth, but not look at it to shame ourselves per se, because I think shame is actually counterproductive to healing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why, because shame is also based in fear and ego. And you can get addicted to that shame cycle where you're just beating yourself up rather than actually taking steps to better yourself and heal. It's more about, woe is me, I wanna pull the covers over my head, drink my sorrows, eat my ice cream, what have you. So in order to heal, we have to have a healthy sense of guilt after knowing the truth. We have to embrace the truth, have a healthy sense of guilt. And then instead of making it an us versus them kind of uh, conversation where we're making villains and enemies of each other, we have to set the quote unquote problem Problem off to the side on the table and make it us versus the problems. Okay, what are the problems and how can we share our experiences and understanding of it? And how do we want that solution to look like? Because anything other than a co-created solution is manipulation mm -hmm. and people aren't going to be invested in that. Think about any time you've ever been invested in something. If someone is uh, holding the reins and you're just having to go along to get along, then you're, you're kind of checked out. You're not really there every step of the way. So I don't think, you know, when it comes to even, let's just say, um, slavery and the history of Black people in this country, one of the challenges I have even um, attending like Black Lives Matters meetings and stuff like that is there's this ongoing thing of 
well, who's going to solve this? It's all up to the white man to figure it out. Uh, some people think and other people think, no, black people can figure it out for themselves. So no one's really working together. They're just kind of challenging each other to figure it out. And we're all like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what are we yeah. supposed to do? Because I, I, I actually, I just, I wrote a movie I, during this whole quarantine about that. And I don't, I don't want to give get too much into it and get too off a topic, but it, it's about two black, two black people um, it's based off a kind of a true story, but but neither here nor there. But it's about two black people talking about whose responsibility is it to fix the like the African American um, problem in America? Is it up to black people to fix it, or is it up to white people? No, I mean like everyone else to fix it. Is it, or or is it like a partnership to heal to do it together? Because it's like you know, one side can. It's like once I, yeah, us black people, we we can do it. We don't need your help. And to say like, you know, you know, it's just like it's it's well, like it's, it's tricky because mm -hmm. I I just to step in for a moment here. I really thought that after the election of Barack Obama in two thousand eight, I really thought, okay, we're getting there. I mm. mean, we're we're getting to that place where we're going to be a post racial society. But then we learned in the last. 12 years no that is not the case unfortunately we are nowhere near that but and i i've not to interrupt you but right. it's just like i feel like when it when it came to like nash nash national racial discussions i think it paused over those eight years it didn't it didn't like because there was stuff going on in states and cities and all that stuff and all that race racist stuff i'm from the south i know mm -hmm. trust me i know racism was still there trust me oh yeah it's not, it never goes away but then, but, but then you had a presidential candidate in 2016 who unfortunately i felt came along and validated the racism and mm. the rhetoric and unfortunately that that just got really really amped up it's just like you know he um, I don't like sp speaking ill will towards people, but our president, current president right now, he just like allowed for that to happen. He he didn't condemn it. it like in when happened what happened in April when George, George Floyd tragically passed away, it was all for the public to see. And you and like you said, it's like you know, out on the line is either on one side or the other side. You can't be in the middle about this is either you're for the progression of not only black people every marginalized groups people to move forward and make this a whole healing country or on or you're on the other side you just want it the way it was um white power as it were no well and those are that's a great point because you know i think one of the things as i've been learning and growing and challenging myself to um always be educating myself by talking with people and trying to understand from people's different perspectives and even coming to terms with the understanding of what what white privilege is and what that means in this country again if we could remove the um us versus them kind of equation if we could evaluate and recalibrate the discussions we were having and say look it's the systems that are problematic if we make the system kind of the villain rather than the other person right. because a lot of times the challenge we're experiencing with a majority of white people when they first hear white privilege the automatic 
thing for a lot of impoverished white people is, what do you mean? I've never had privilege. I've been poor my entire life. Like I've been bucked by the system too. But what they don't understand is that it was never because of the color of their skin. They didn't have that just pop, you know, by birth, having something that was kind of against them. So once you can kind of, again, flip the script and the narrative and, and, and recalibrate and set the intention for the conversations and actually listen to each other because we're not going into conversations to listen to one another. We're going in to try to, to win, hear, to hear what they're saying. And then however we do it, we try to figure out how to make them wrong to be yeah. right. Yeah. You know? It's like, and I don't, I don't, and it, I think we should change the, the vocabulary from white privilege to systemic privilege. Yeah, I like that idea. Like, I, I, I just thought about it, like when you said, it's because it's systemic racism, so it's systemic privilege. Right, right. And, and if you'd really think... And I went on a date with a guy a, a long time ago where, you know, we were of different political parties and we didn't agree on much. But I was proud of myself because the date went at least civilly because I was able to have a discussion with them about this is why I believe in this, this, and that. And one of the things he said to me was, I don't, I don't get the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't, I don't get it. You know, shouldn't all lives matter? And then I just, I calmly explained to him, when you get in your car, do you worry about a cop pulling you over and shooting you dead? And then he said, no. And I said, unfortunately, in our system, that is unfortunately a fear that most black people have now is that when they're gonna get in their car, they're worried about getting pulled over by a cop and dying. That is why the movement started. Mm. And even though he might've not agreed, we at, least, we at least had that open dialogue to be able to say, hey, you know, and I really think that in order for us to heal, it really does have to start with not only speaking, but listening mm. to one another. I mean, I did a very risky thing. You, you saw my one-man show. Oh, it was brilliant. Thank I you. can't wait for your next one. Thank you. Well, I did, a, I did a very risky thing in the summer of 2018. I went, to a, I went to perform it in Virginia, where I lived when I was a child for 10 years. About, you know, a good chunk of my audience was Republicans. And I had a Republican congressman's wife, daughter, and granddaughter in my audience. A lot of these people knew my father because my father was the local Episcopal priest at their church. So these were a lot of my dad's old parishioners. Mm. And I'm a queer democratic um, actor coming to talk about my feelings. Mm. And I was a little nervous to do it because obviously there are parts in the show where I talk about our current president mm. and I talk about some things. And I was like, look, even if people don't agree with me, just as long as they at least hear me out, I'm okay with that. I'm not here to change anybody's minds. I just want to try to get people to see it from a different perspective. And mm. well, that was the bubble. That was the beauty about your show. That was what's so beautiful about it. And when you expose yourself in such a vulnerable, authentic way, it's nearly impossible unless you are, you know, part of that faction of people that is allowing your kind of narcissistic tendencies to take control. And again, I never villainize narcissists because I look at narcissists as people that can also recover from those tendencies. Mm -hmm. But what your show did and the way you were able to be respectful about how you opened up, it's hard for anybody sitting in the audience not to relate in some way. Again, like you said, maybe they don't agree with you, right off the bat but you get you planted some seeds in their minds to go and do a little more research and to really think for themselves which many of us really don't do today mm. you know if we 
if you really think about our opinions, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one, but most of them stink. Mm. And, you know, our opinions are usually based in emotion because maybe our mom or dad told us to think that way, maybe a favorite teacher or rabbi or priest. And when you get into a conversation with someone, if the emotion is, is leading, I could just, you know, Oh, we I could for a minute. I'm here. I could just ask someone a question just to find out more about how they got to why they feel that way, and they might get angry with me because that emotion is like, "How dare you question something my mom told me or my dad told me to believe?" So it's these kind of um, emotionally led and emotionally driven conversations where we really, if we really ask ourselves why, and why is the best question we can ask ourselves. Ask why get that answer, ask why again, ask why again, and really get down to it. Well, why do I, I mean, why am I pro-life over pro-choice? Or why am I pro-gun over, you know, anti-gun? Like, why is it, how did I get there? Did I really get there? Or did someone tell me what to believe? And so many people are running around arguing with each other, trying to be right. And they don't even know why they feel the way they feel, you know, they're just- Because they heard it from someone who they trust. And like you said, trust and believe. And that gets filtered down and like, you know, like governmental down, like family down. That's how they were raised to believe and how, and that's how they, you know, want to move forward. And then, like you said, the beauty of your show is like, you, you went on that stage and you tell, you forced the audience to meet you at a human level. Right. You at a human level so they can move forward as a human and take what, take your, take your story and all your experience as a hum, as human, because you're a human, you're a human, I'm a human, so everyone has a valid experience. I mean, but, sometimes I think I'm an alien, but I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> well, I mean, being on the autism spectrum, I was pretty much an alien since birth, mm. but, um, but that's, what I, that's what I really love about this show, is that this show really does center on two separate worlds when you really think about it. Because you have the Manhattan world where Betty goes into work and you have the Manhattan elite and you have that whole bubble of people that live in their own individual bubble. But then Betty goes back home to Queens. That's an entirely different world. Mm -hmm. They're both in the same city, but they're just, they're night and day, entirely different worlds. Yeah. Well, and even at the office and the culture they're creating at their office and projecting into the world is completely different than the individual lives they go home to. So it's almost like we humans are complicating things because we're trying to project. It's like, you notice this in social media today. There's so much about perfection and hiding your flaws and trying to keep up with everybody online who seems to be having the best life, but really they're living in a cardboard box, you know, somewhere yeah. on the beach. And yeah, they've not, got <laughs> not to call out those influencers, like you know those, you know those, you know those models, like oh those oh I'm having the best life, so <laughs> but actually you know their lives are shit because you know. Like, that's what social media is. Like, you know, we're putting a version of our lives. Not everyone's raw on social media. I try to be raw on social media. I'm not sure if I well, do that well, but you know, 
Yeah, you know, some people like wants to show them the fantasy life and what they want to show to the public, so you know they can move forward as, as status. Because, but that's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting, and it it's led to depression for so many people. And admittedly, for a few years, I got caught up in that, and I didn't want anyone to see that I struggled ever, you know. And then when I finally broke out of that mold and showed myself in all the different facets of just being a human because you know I'm a model and I'm in the fashion industry and you know I had to put out the sexy pictures and that was kind of like the brand and that's what people were buying into but then I wanted to be like you know what I want to connect to my friends family and fans in a way that's far more uh, beneath the surface and when I finally allowed myself room to be human and show up in social media and say I had a bad day or you know put up a picture that wasn't flawless you know and people could see me just as an everyday human being um, you know it just my life exponentially got better Mm. Well, that's um, that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because, I mean, I met you in uh, 2017 at a mutual friend's uh, Christmas party. Mm -hmm. And um, I um, and this was years after you had done make me was it make me a model or make me a supermodel? Make me a supermodel. That's right. You had, you had done make me a supermodel. So, I mean, that's really cool. You were the runner up on season one. You got to be within feet of Tyson Beckford. And uh, who was the other host? Um, Nikki Taylor. You got to be within feet of them, and um, this was this was in the midst of the top model craze. So mm -hmm. other networks mm -hmm. were doing their own supermodel searches. I wanted to ask you um, more about your modeling career, actually, just because um, uh, this is obviously a show about the fashion industry, and you have um, fashion industry experience. Did you move to New York after Make Me a Supermodel, or did you stay in LA, or where? I went back home to Chicago for a few months and I kind of was weighing out the pros and cons of leaving Chicago because I never really saw myself leaving my hometown, but it was such an incredible opportunity and I felt that I needed to strike while the iron was hot and get out to New York while people still kind of knew who I was and it would open some doors and I wanted to live out that dream. And so I ended up moving to New York um, at the end, was it the end of 2008 or this late summer of 2008? So would you say this show is pretty accurate with its depiction of the modeling industry, at least from a fashion perspective or? It is, you know, it is, it's, uh, you know, fashion is a business like anything else. And if, Vogue went under tomorrow, people that kind of shame the fashion industry for whatever reason, you don't understand how much money this industry is worth and how what those people in the boardrooms when they decide what's in what colors are in what styles are in that filters down not only to the big like fancy department stores, but down to every kind of it influences every decision made in fashion and it's a big market, um, but it can also, because it's based on looks, it can be very superficial. Um, sometimes when you're a model going on castings, like you have to have a really thick skin because you're gonna get no more times than you get yes. And um, unfortunately, the underbelly of the modeling industry is kind of similar to the Harvey Weinsteins of the acting world where your agents either 
wanted to be you so they get jealous of you and try to like ruin your career in some way out of a fit of jealousy or they want you to snort coke or have sex with them in order to get booked for the big jobs um and in a lot of ways the stereotype is true not all models are stupid but it, because it's so surface level and vapid um it really didn't feed my soul but because i'm an artist i really loved more than anything, I loved creating campaign shoots or lifestyle shoots versus runway, even though runway could be fun because I was bringing characters to life and we were working on a team and doing something really artistic. Um, but, you know, I think it's one of the reasons I've kind of transitioned from the modeling industry into acting is um, because I wanted to get away from that vapid kind of surface level nature of that industry. Mm -hmm. How yeah. many uh, how many years were you in New York before you moved to Los Angeles? Uh, a solid three years before I got bit by the acting bug and I got an audition for a film that brought me to LA for 30 days. And um, I had the time of my life while I was out here and I just knew I had to move west and I had to be out in, in the sunny SoCal and, and be making movies and um, exploring that side of my artist self. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And it'll be next year, it'll be 10 years that I've been out here in LA. Yes, nice. um, I just, I moved, I moved here in 2008. So I'm 12 years. Mm. Yeah. I, I moved out here in um, 2017. So I'm, I'm kind of new and fresh, but you know, I, I studied to be an actor because you know, like you said, it just feeds your soul being a performer and being that artist, like getting to create and change the world. Because I feel like we as artists, we people look to movies and TV shows to see how to be a great human and what the world should be. And that, you know, and, I, and that's what like kind of like coming back to Ugly Betty is like, that's what Ugly Betty is about. Like how to be the best version of you to move forward to be the best person you possibly be. And that's why we use we not only we as a queer community but everyone loves america Ferreira as betty because she showed us how to be the best person possible and we all love redemption moments that's what's so fun is you some one of the characters could be so nasty in one moment and have a redeeming moment and all of a sudden you're in love with them again but and then then you get to we're all mirrors for each other at the end of the day you know mm -hmm. like there's no such thing as coincidence. Our energy calls certain individuals into our lives to play certain roles. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but sometimes it's not always sunshine, rainbow and butterflies because someone presents themselves as a mirror and they start behaving in ways that you don't like. But then you have this aha moment that says, wait a second, I don't like this behavior because I personally have behaved like this and I've probably hurt other people with it. So instead of holding ourselves accountable in that moment, it's so much easier to attack the person whose behavior we don't like. And the human psychology of that and diving, if you're willing to peel back the onion layers of that and explore that and be honest and take some responsibility, um, and adulting, if you will. Yeah. You know? yeah. And now, and now, because of your acting career, you're now our second guest from uh, Eating Out Four Drama. <laughs> That's Drew, right. We had Drew Drogi on a couple of weeks ago, and oh, I love Drew. I do. He's the best. He's the absolute best. 
so now now we have our second guest from that movie on this show <laughs> the funny thing about that movie is we got kicked off set we were filming in uh, malibu at a place called camp shalom and one of the scenes in there where drew jogi is having kind of like a sex scene um, we had gotten clearance to use the executive offices and he's having the sex scene and in the sex scene the PA system is still on for the rest of the camp to hear, which was fine because for our group, that was, we already knew what was happening, but there were other parts of the camp with Jewish kids having different outings and stuff. Oh, and they're hearing these orgasmic sounds over <laughs> loudspeakers. And so we almost got completely kicked off the camp. And I don't know how our producers pulled it off, but they were able to convince them that, look, it's not, it's a simulated sex scene. It's not real and we're not filming porn. It's just comedy. And yeah, and Drew, of course, was so convincing being the great actor that he is. Um, it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the, I haven't seen it eating out of movies in such a long time, but I've watched them, you know, when coming out like you know those are one of those movies that you hear watch when eating out and then trick i don't know if you remember trick. oh yeah that's a classic yeah trick and all those like you know gaby movies and when i when i meet people who are just coming out that oh my gosh you need to watch this 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 and come back to me later you'll be good to go and then when steven <laughs> and i started hanging out there was the uh there was the other list of gay classics that he hadn't seen yet so i made sure to remedy that oh, one so, I, so right, I introduced them to the first wives club <laughs> and, um romy and michelle's high school reunion yeah and um i recently showed him drop dead gorgeous oh isn't that amazing it's so good it's like well, it's, it's like so I watched the first wives club and drop dead gorgeous it's like how have I not seen these movies before? And I just, I wanted to make sure it's like, okay, Stephen, these are films with a huge gay following. So just, you know, let's make sure you watch these uh, required by gay law. Yes. Right? We don't want your gay card restricted in regard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was times. And then like, I watched, like, I know when I first started to come out, like I watched Logo all the time and watch all those shows. I watch Queer as Folk, like religiously. They're like, oh, so this is what all this gay thing is about. This is what I need to know. Like, you know, even though Queer as Folk is very like a whole, not glamorized, like a hyper version of everything that we experience. But you know, it's still a good show. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that pleasantly surprised me, um, I haven't had a chance to tell you this in person. It just pleasantly surprised me when I noticed it one day on my Facebook wall, but I was like, oh, Ronnie Kroll is now friends with my mother on Facebook. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> she, had, she had sent a friend request. And of course I, I recognized the last name right away. And I was like, oh, this has got to be your mom. And I was like, of course I'll be friends with your mama. <laughs> <laughs> So I just, I just like, oh, that's cool. And I, I saw that she gave you advice for like feeding one of your cats or. Um, yeah. Because my mom's big in the animals. So I just, yeah. I, I just like, I found that very surprising. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I have to give my, anyone who follows me credit for sticking around because I'm such a, these days, because I've always been such a, I'm a recovering people pleaser and 
but I've also been someone that's always kind of gone after my dreams and showed up unapologetically myself. And, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea because you never know what you're going to get with me. One day you might get this version of me and tomorrow, you know, you got my ass in your face because I'm selling, you know, prints of one of my modeling pictures and someone who's more conservative following me thinking they're going to get all this positivity, all of a sudden get my modeling picture. And I give you credit if you can stick around and kind of, um, again, going back to jazz standards, all of me, yeah. why not to all of yeah. me? So get, going back to the episode after our lovely magical soapboxes that I, oh, it was so good. <laughs> well, let's go to like the Middle Ages, that whole, that whole scene. What did you think of the whole Middle Ages scene that was like, beautiful i thought it was brilliant yes i loved i loved the fantasy sequence and the costumes the music i thought everything about that montage that fantasy sequence was brilliant yeah I, and i i love like amanda's acting reel he <laughs> 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 gave me flashbacks i love that moment where she gets there and she's expecting to see her face but then she, <laughs> she sees a whole other actress and oh my god the they She's like, they de-wenched me. How old am I going to be? I'm too old to be a receptionist. It's just, you know, and that fear of maybe growing older a bit that I personally don't have. Yes, you do. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We have opposite things about age. He doesn't like getting older. And I'm like, eh, I'm all for it. Let's do it. I'm black. I never age. (laughs) Black don't crack, they say. Yes. Well, I'm just Trust one of those me. people where it's like, look, we're we're all going to get older anyways, so we might as well enjoy it because what's the alternative? You might as well enjoy it, you know? That's I'm, right. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be alive for a long time, like I said earlier. Yes, you I, don't, I don't. I don't know about. <laughs> well, with age comes wisdom. I, so, like I said, I'm already wise. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll only get wiser. Mm, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you get to see our lovely banter on this podcast. Mm. Oh, I love it. It works. You guys have great chemistry. Oh, thank you. I mean, we were on the stage together, so I guess that's something. At the same theater where you saw my one-man show, we did a show together. We did a production of 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Oh, nice. And he was Barfay, and I was Coney Bear. Love it. Love it. So yeah, that was brilliant. So sorry, we want to make sure we got everybody's notes here. So, oh, that's okay. You too. I want to. I want to make sure we got your notes. And Ronnie, we want to make sure we got yours. So anything oh, yeah. you want to say about the episode that <clears throat> that we haven't hit yet? I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I mean, I I will always admire Betty's courage when she got on the bull. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, you got handed to her. She needed that money for that for those plane tickets. So she, and I love how Christina's trying to think of other ideas, and she's like, "Have a drinking contest. I've won a couple of those." And then like metal, like you know, I, I forgot Robert Rodriguez. He he did like you know medical testing to make um one of his movies. You know who Robert Rodriguez is right. He um mm-hmm. directed Spy Kids and um, the Dust from Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn, his Planet Terror. His his the first, faculty the first okay. the first movie he did he uh, he wrote a book about it like he did he was like a test subject for a, a medical thing to like get the budget to make his first movie so sure. you know sometimes you got to do what you have to do to make money for rent or whatever right true so, story you, know. you gotta pay them bills somehow 
Mm-hmm. And you picked a brilliant shot of Betty when she is spinning around on the mechanical pool. And she- I was rooting for her, to be honest. I was rooting for her. I wish that she would have made it all the way to the end, you know? <laughs> I it, was really, it really... I was watching it go this morning, because like I said, my memory's kind of foggy on these, because I haven't watched any of these since 2015. So I was like re-watching it going, oh my God, I hope she makes it. I hope she, oh. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. She was so close. Yeah, but you so close. But in the magical world of TV, everything works out in the end. Yes, you know, it does. that's what writing is. You always make the main character win or lose, depending on what story you're telling. And then I right. love I love how in this episode Betty calls in reinforcements by getting a psychologist from another magazine on another floor to come and talk to Daniel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just like he 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 did expose like oh yeah you're addicted to sex and you and you learned that from the first episode sex addiction now oh, it's pill addiction you know like you said addiction is very strong I, I'm addicted to shopping <laughs> there it is you know um, you know and and I think you know the road to recovery with any sort of addiction is being gentle with yourself and again I go back to shame. And because I've, I can only speak to it because I've lived it. And when you get into those cycles of shame, it's just compounding an already difficult problem. So you're not really doing yourself any favors. Um, You know, and you know, you want to, I don't know, again, going back to the great writing and the great acting, you want to root for all of these characters, even in their darkest hour, because we've all at some point in our life, had some obstacle we've had to overcome or some challenge similar and that's why I have to applaud the show in general and actually what re-watching this episode I want to go back and re-watch the whole series yeah because you know that's why you know it's we- such a time capsule when you go back and watch it now especially in 2020 because the references that they make to hot topics that were happening in the time in each episode they're like easter eggs so in this one, my right. favorite time capsule moment was when they referenced Brittany shaving her head. Oh, right. Because it was 2007, and that was a big hot topic in this country when she shaved her head. Oh, so yeah, that was cool. I'm going to get that again. <laughs> so I always love finding those time capsule moments when they make a reference to a hot topic or a music or a hit movie at the time. So it is fun to go back and watch the time capsule elements of this and it has those nuggets but everything else is timeless yeah you know, like, like the subject matter and like and that's why i wanted to like that's why i had the idea to start this podcast in the first place because you know it's a great a it's a great show to look back on it's like not not saying it's not it's one of those hidden not saying it's a hidden gem because people know of the show it's like you know a great show to look back on and and we talk about those lessons that that show taught us like like I said how to be a great person and like you know all the acting and the writing because you know it's just as good as a sex in the city or a, not I want to compare it to Gossip Girl because it's way better than Gossip Girl but you know it's one of those great great shows that you know needs to be revisited especially now in all three of them take place in New York City yeah <laughs> it's a great show like you know to revisit now and like and show what the best of humanity is and how to like be a great human being. Right, I agree. <sighs> Anything else that you want to say about the episode? 
Uh, no, I just want to make sure that we, we had some great conversations yeah, today. So I just wanted to make sure that we covered all the bases on all three ends. Yeah. I always just love to go with the flow whenever we have guests on. So I'm not as rigid with my notes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got everything I, I wanted to talk about. What about you? I did as well, actually. I think we hit a grand slam hitting all of our points out of the ballpark. Yeah, any, any, anything you want to leave the, our audience with? Like, you know, what, what do you have coming up? What, or, and what else, what have you been watching during quarantine? You know, I've been, um, I didn't hop on the True Blood train when it was popular. So I'm, I'm binge watching True Blood right now. And I'm, they're actually bringing yeah, it back. I heard it back. I did like, so I'm, but I'm really sad because Lafayette's yeah. character, he's gone. He passed away, unfortunately, of addiction. And um, his character was my absolute favorite. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've been watching that. Um, I think the gayest thing that I've probably watched is the uh, the new She-Ra on Netflix. <laughs> Five seasons of amazingness. and. It's super cheesy the first season, and then it the writing even gets better because they they find their balance between cheesy humor and kind of darker, more interesting dramatic moments. But um, I never realized how gay Shira was when I was growing up. Even just watching Shira and He Man episodes back in the day, yeah. in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, and what else am I watching? What should I be watching? What are you guys watching? Um, I I finished The West Wing. I don't know if you ever seen The West Wing. I have. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's such good. Like I started it and like it's so good as a juxtaposition to see what's going on now. And, oh sure. And I oh, I watched masterful acting from all those actors, especially Alice and Janney. Oh. <laughs> and I watched The Office for the first time. I was I was a person who say, oh, I would never watch The Office. And then like actually going, actually watching it from like an actor's perspective is like, oh my gosh, this show is so good. Right. Everything is so good. It's like, and I'm rewatching it again. It's like, oh. Well, and when you're breaking that fourth wall, it's so fun for the audience to have those shared moments with the actors. So I'll, I'll give a little list of recommendations because I have connections to all the streaming services. Mm -hmm. I've been very lucky during this pandemic. Uh, so luckily, if you have a friend with an Apple TV account, I highly recommend The Morning Show. Mm. Okay. Just Jennifer Aniston in her finest hour as an actress. And also it really bravely addresses both sides of the Me Too argument. Uh-huh. And even though they say it's not about Matt Lauer and the Today Show, they clearly did take some, you know, liberty sure. on that creatively. So for Apple TV, I recommend that. For Hulu, I am working my way through the Animaniacs reboot, which I love. Oh, nice. It's so brilliant. So if you grew up on Animaniacs, it'll oh, be Oh, I love it. It'll be love a nice it. I love Pinky and the Brain, too. And they're back, yes. too. They're back, too. I'm so excited. I mean, the 90s awesome. died and went to heaven. Um, for Netflix, uh, let's see, oh, um, I'm a documentary nerd, and now all three seasons of Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath are now on Netflix. Okay. So, and um, I don't know, I'm, I've been such a documentary nerd lately because HBO Max had this really good one about um, Heaven's Gate, which was the cult that did the mass suicide in 1997. Right. 
because they believed that they were going off to God's spaceship. So, um, mm. so it's and, and like I said, I'm fascinated to watch documentaries about that because you see these human beings that you know were so um, vulnerable to allow themselves to you know follow their leader into this you know this sure um, and it just it gives you an opportunity as a as an actor to try to understand where they were coming from mm. right so um so yeah those are those are my recommendations that i think covered all the main streaming services yeah and i'm, I'm trying to get him to start watching him um Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we made I, we made a deal. Yeah. If I, if so I, I will binge Buffy now. If I if I make through all his movies, and he gave me a stack this big yeah. of all his all the movies he wanted to. Once I got through all of that, we were gonna watch Buffy. Yeah. And I have the box set right there, so I'm he's excited not... to see a young Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was in one of my all time favorite horror movies, which I also showed him. Yeah. I know what you did last summer. Yeah. It's, right. In, have you you seen Buffy the Buffy, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, Sarah Michelle Gellar gives that acting masterclass all seven seasons, and she's just so... Her and Allison Hannigan, like, we talk about we talk about Sarah Michelle Gellar, but Allison Hannigan, especially, like, starting season three on, that, especially season six, like, her season when, you know, that thing happens to Willow, that she's... All of everybody in that show is so good, they, they are acting their asses off. <laughs> and, and um and um Kristen Bell and Veronica Mars, she I feel like I I always say to myself that they deserved Emmy. Sarah Michelle Geller, Allison Hannigan, and Kristen Bell deserved Emmy for their work. They walked, they they did those shows, but all the shows that are getting nominated now, like Euphoria and all these sci-fi shows, they were doing that back then. Not saying they were doing it better. <clears throat> kind of but they were doing it so well so they could do it now and Kristen Bell definitely deserves an Emmy she did Veronica Mars again she did the good play she did House of House of Lies She's like and I recently introduced Stephen to a master class of an Emmy performance when I showed him I've been showing him um, Mrs. America on Hulu mm -hmm. with Kate okay. Kinsett, the one about the conservative movement with Phyllis Schlafly Right. It's about what each episode is about a different feminist figure from that time. So one episode is about Gloria Steinem. And then the one that I showed him recently was the one about Shirley Chisholm. Ooh, first, ooh. first woman to run for president in the history of the United States. And Uzo's work in that is a masterclass. Just that one episode Man. alone, it's a masterclass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so much, so many good, as you, as we've all discussed, so many good yeah. to watch. <laughs> There's so much great content yeah. out there, you know, and, you know, and thanks to COVID, you know, people are like, they're not saying I finished a series. They're like, oh, I'm done with Netflix. <laughs> I'm done with yeah. you. Like, we got to create a whole bunch of new content for people because everyone's just cycled through most of everything. Yeah. So before we go, is there anywhere that, people could check you out and stuff that projects that you've done and all that stuff. anything you're working on or yeah i mean as far as social media goes my handle is ronnie kroll r-o-n-n-i-e-k-r-o-e-l-l ronniekroll.com you can uh, check out my various interests there um what i'm working on right now is finishing my autobiographical self-help book which is called behind the smile 
I'm hoping to finish that up in the next couple of months. It really is about sharing some stories and personal anecdotes and some of my own triumphs and tribulations. Um, I started uh, a show that's in development called Higher Love with my friend DeMarco Majors and it really is about speaking about a lot of the topics that we talked about today, racial issues, um, sexuality issues, politics and stuff like that, but doing so with an approach that really is setting higher love is the goal. If we really say we love each other and we care about each other, then we have to have these tough conversations with love being the focus because it doesn't matter. We're not always gonna agree with each other. So we're hoping that that show will provide some insight and inspire people and help people to learn and grow as we're uh, tackling the tough topics. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I've got, you know, as we all do, I've got a lot of pots on the stove. Some are on high heat, some are on medium, some are on simmer. Um, and I'm just, you know, waiting to see how the pieces move around. But overall, I'm just an artist at heart. As long as I am um, being able to express myself, share my story, or help other people share their stories, then I'm really living in my purpose. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm writing a book or modeling or, you know, acting in a role, as long as I'm living that truth, you know. And um, I think that's what matters the most to me because when I talk with people on social media, um, the greatest gift is when someone gives me some feedback that just says, hey, you know, you were so brave to do this and it helped me be brave or it helped me. And the one that chokes me up is when people say I was gonna take my life, but you inspired me to stick around. And I don't even know, it's so hard to find words to, to respond to that, except that I'm so glad you're here, you know, because mm -hmm. people are really depressed, especially today. So anything we can do to love on one another you know, I encourage your listeners to be gentle with themselves, to love themselves, to practice self-care, whatever that looks like for them, and then to be a little bit kinder and softer with others that are also just, we don't know what someone's going through in their life. We don't know what's going on behind the curtain, as it were. Um, and if we all do a little part, it can ripple out and become a really um, beautiful wave of change and healing and love and hell we're in the age of the Aquarius right so yeah. it's time for that come it's on Rufus and Hare <laughs> we're all going to be running around naked on the stage yes <laughs> I was um just one last question I know you've definitely you know flirted with politics in the past uh, is that still something you're considering I know you, you know 2020 has left a really gnarly taste of politics in my mouth. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um, part of me is like, yes, politics is still interesting to me, but I'm not quite sure what that path is gonna look like yet. Unfortunately, going into politics is a very thankless job. Yeah. I think a lot of times we're always demanding things from our politicians, but we're never grateful, or we put them in positions where they have to say what we wanna hear rather than tell us the truth. And so until we improve as citizens, you know, our politics aren't gonna change. So I can, as an artist, I can. there's a lot of vehicles for me to impact yeah. others, touch people's hearts. I think, you know, politics is in my future. I'm not sure yet when I'm going to pull that lever or what that office is going to look like. Um, 
but ever since I was a little kid, you know, politics has been a, people have been a passion of mine. And my grandmother always told me never to judge a book by its cover. And I, I do my very best. And, you know, we're all prejudiced at some degree and we have to kind of call ourselves out for it when it happens. Um, but I will, I will do something politically. And if not personally running right away, I'll still be involved with other people's campaines yeah. or, you know, doing things to raise awareness, you know. Absolutely. And, yeah, that's what I plan to do with my platform. So yeah. that's good. That's and, good. And, you know, and if we work together and combine our platforms and um, like I said, if we all do our parts and and we own our voice, you know, and realize how powerful we really are, you know, magical things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and that's the power of public service at the end of the day. And you said it, you know, it's reminding our public servants that their job is to serve the public. And unfortunately, the way our system is now, it's serving the oligarchs, it's serving the corporations, it's serving um, a certain group, you know, and until we can get big money out of politics, until we can implement some kind of term limits, something that, you know, show me a Republican or a Democrat that's going to run on actually proposing legislation uh, to propose uh, term limits and, you know, more than likely they'll have my vote. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter whether you want to villainize Republicans or Democrats by label alone. I don't, they're the modern dukes and duchesses of our era, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. they're living the, they're living the high life, they're living off of the wealth of, in the backs of the sweat equity of the people. Yeah. They've got the best of salary, best of benefits. They've got the backdoor deals. Politicians are going in paupers and leaving as millionaires. Like mm -hmm. there's so many things that need to like, uh, it's exhausting. Oh, I agree, I agree. Yeah, it's exhausting. need reform, I agree. Yeah, there, there are new, like, you know, they're like our royal family, if that makes it in, in, a, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> So, but it, it's exhausting, but we can't let it overwhelm us to where we completely tune it out. Because if we do that and become complacent, then we have to hold our help hold ourselves responsible for whatever happens. Because we've just said, "Oh, well, the hell with it. They're going to do what they want to do." Um, and you know, if we tune out, then we're not bringing our heart, mind, and voice to the table to really say what we want to be a part of. So we can't point fingers and criticize what we're responsible in part four, you know. And yeah, that was beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. So much fun today. Yeah. And thank you to all of your amazing listeners. And hopefully you all go check me out at RonnieKroll.com. And if you have any personal questions or, you know, I love talking with people, especially those in the LGBT community that are having rough spots. If you're feeling the need that you just need someone to listen, I may not have the answers for you, but I'm happy to, to listen to what what's going on and maybe provide some resources for you, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for stepping into our world today. <laughs> thank you. I hope you have a great um, holiday season and may we all have a peaceful, happy and prosperous and very healthy new year. We yeah. have to, you know, yeah. we can only go up from here. Go but up.
Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So without further ado, my name is Steven. My name is George. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone.